Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. Reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. Boom! What is going on, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm creeping it real. And we're kicking off 2022 with... uh, some previous audio issues that no longer happened. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks to the wonderful IT work of our guest today. <laughs> Just saying. He uh he he hooked us up. Um so uh thank you to everybody that's already here uh in the chat. We appreciate it. Um if you've never joined us for a live stream on YouTube, uh especially with, with Phil, just so you guys know, any super chats that come in uh today uh, are going right to US Arc. Um, so feel free to uh, to hit us with a super chat and uh, we'll make that happen. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to bring Phil on right now and we're just going to jump right into things. Boom. What's up, Boom. Phil? How's it going? Howdy, fellas. It's good to see you again. You don't have to lie, Rob. It's okay. <laughs> I like seeing you. You're so handsome. Yeah. <laughs> 15 years ago there was a i had a shot at handsome dude that picture behind you is awesome too for the people on the audio won't be able to see it but it's a sweet big reticulated python picture that's cool yeah it's and and there's so there's no what happened to the giant in your face ux a us arc uh vertical banner that was there i don't know i hung something else up this time <laughs> change, change, change the background i dig it yeah, swap it up <laughs> Uh, okay, so I just I want to jump right into it. So we wanted to start off this year uh, talking with you, Phil, because we, we already know we're we're in for some nonsense. Um, twenty twenty one ended with a few things sneaking their way uh, into our midst. Uh, so I guess let's let's recap with with that stuff. What do we have already on our plate? Yeah. So at the end of the year, actually on Thanksgiving Day, we issued an alert. Uh, for a national bill. Um, so this is going to affect, you know, everybody across the country potentially. So it's what we call a traveling animal act ban. And we're, I mean, the, the animal rights groups who wrote this uh, say that it's, you know, targets circuses and tigers and uh, elephants, things like that and traveling circuses. But if you read it, it actually bans anyone from even taking a tortoise or even a small pygmy monitor into a classroom. Um, so it's transporting any species listed. It's transporting that animal in any manner somewhere where it's going to be on some type of display. Um, it's some people argue it could possibly affect reptile shows as it's written. We don't really see it affecting reptile shows, but it could pass and then they could change a little bit of the language and and even have an impact on uh, reptile shows where people sell reptiles, not ones where they're doing educational programs. And we faced something similar to this in Massachusetts, uh, where they were saying that it was a ban on circuses because of blah, 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 blah. And then the wording that they had in it, any sort of public demonstration where an animal is doing something for entertainment. And it was just worded so vaguely that, like, if you brought out a chameleon and said, look at its colors, it's entertaining people. And so they would have been banning educational programs where people are learning about these animals. Yeah, and they get worded a little bit differently. That one in mass was it just had exotic animal. 
um, with that would have covered everything non-native to Massachusetts. This one has a list of animals, but like it includes some stuff that's pretty common at these shows, including uh, all monitor lizards and all tortoises. So uh, how they think tortoises are any type of danger to anybody or or mistreated if they got to take a 20 minute car ride. I don't know, but that's that's what it says. So, I mean, it's it doesn't have much of a chance of passing, but it's it's unfortunately it's gaining co-sponsors. I forget last time I checked, it was up to 51 or 53 co-sponsors on the house bill. Wow. So, yeah, it, it could get a little bit of traction. So we're definitely watching it. That's rough. Yeah. And it, it, it also, correct me if I'm wrong, but it also has a, a companion bill. Is there, there a house bill? Yeah, there's a Senate and a House bill. So, yeah, companion bill. Companion bill means that there's essentially the same exact bill in the House and the Senate. And the Senate bill only has the original sponsor, um, which is a senator from Arizona. Um, but, yeah, it's the, it's the House one that actually might get traction if one of these two gets traction. Okay. So, and, and I'll, I'll preface before, before we keep going, I'll preface by saying, like, if you're not already checking out USARC's website and you're not already uh, getting their newsletter, you should uh, go to USARC.org and sign up for that newsletter. It's free and it's a wonderful way to stay in the know of what is going on. And it does an amazing job of spoon feeding you every bit of information you need including uh, sample letters and draft letters that all you need to do is uh, address and sign, uh, and you can feel free to add your, uh, your spin on it if you would like, but uh, everything that needs to be said is already said in there. So he does a wonderful job of, uh, of making sure you already have that info, so there's no really no excuses for yeah. assisting. <laughs> it gets repetitive. I know we say the same thing on every show, but yeah, all the essentially the work's been done for you. Just go to usarc.org and click on whichever action alert that you want to get involved in, which is hopefully all of them. But again, just <laughs> click on it and it tells you who to send, uh, who to contact, what to say. If there's a hearing, it says what the date and the, the time is and everything's right there for you. So again, just usarc.org. Check it out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people realize, even no matter how many times we we have you on and we discuss this stuff, I don't think people realize that like it's that simple. Like you've done the work for us all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the more that we go, uh, this first week of 2022 is probably gonna we're gonna probably see a whole bunch of introductions like we did last year, right? Yeah, so essentially what we call legislative season is the same as tax season. They run about the same. So you're looking January through usually March. Uh, some Sometimes we get some stuff in April and May, depending on the state. But each state has a different session. Uh, mm. that the legislators are going to the, the state capitol. Uh, some go all year. But again, usually it's January through March is when we see the state bills proposed. So, so yeah, they'll be... If, if they're going to come, they'll be coming here soon. That's another reason why it's so important for people to uh, sign up for the newsletters. Make sure they're checking out the Instagram and USARC Instagram, USARC Facebook, and, and the website as well because we'll be posting updates as we go. And, and yeah, and the reason we had those, we'll talk about the other one next, but we had two kind of bigger ones at the end of the year. Obviously, one was a federal bill. So federal legislative session runs for two years, so they can be introduced anytime over those two years. So the first year of this session was 2001. The next one is 2022. So it could be introduced at the end of the year because it just carry over 
and a 2022. And then the other one we had just a few weeks ago was a North Carolina, but it's not a legislative bill. It's a regulatory change. So with a regulatory change, those can happen anytime throughout the year because they don't go through the legislature. This one's actually going through uh, North Carolina's uh, Department of Natural Resources. So it's going through a state agency. Uh, so that can, happen, that can happen every year. If a state wildlife agency has that authority, uh, they can introduce it without going through the legislature. And usually, I don't know why, but it does seem like the regulatory changes we typically typically get more the second half of the year rather than the first half. Hmm. Hmm. That is an interesting yeah. trend. Um, yeah. All right. So, so yeah, so we've got North Carolina's on, uh, on deck, too. We've got uh, quite a bit of nonsense. Uh, in our midst and of, of course just in time for rob and i to become new residents <laughs> <laughs> but now we can speak as constituents when we go to the meetings that's true yeah it is true yeah so north carolina i mean they're, they're doing some changes uh which is calling for wildlife agencies to do it, it wouldn't be too bad of a deal if there wasn't the ban on tegu so north carolina is looking to ban all tegu so it's not just going to be black and whites uh, so this is the, they call themselves the Wildlife Resources Commission in North Carolina. Usually it's a DNR, most people call it, but same thing. But yeah, Tegu, Tegu bans the big one. Um, they will grandfather, allow you to grandfather in, which means keep any Tegus that you have. But if there's anybody who's doing any real business breeding Tegus, they really need to get involved in this. I haven't heard from any, you know, medium or larger Tegu breeders in North Carolina so if there are any, please contact USARC at info at USARC.org. Um, but yeah, certainly you got to get involved if you're in the business of Tegus. Yeah, this, yeah, this, this one's definitely big for sure. Too. Say that again, Rob? Oh, no, I was just saying that this is going to probably affect uh, pet stores as well. Uh, and, and people who are, you know, even just vending shows in North Carolina. Uh, you know, a lot of people are interested in Tegus and it feels like, you know, not as many of those people are willing to show up and, and, you know, say something about it. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely a sad, uh, a sad trend um, to, to see the, the lack of, I don't want to say a lack of attention because I, I've spoken to people who are quite aware of what's going mm. on, but, uh, but it, it just seems like there's a lack of willingness to go find the information, which again, Bill has done this amazing job of putting it all in one place. <laughs> like you just have to go to the website and you can find everything you need right there. Uh, yeah, it, it's all there. And on this North Carolina stuff, I mean, you've got four opportunities to speak uh, to the agency. So there's, there's three in-person meetings. I know, you know, that can be hard to get away and get to those, but we have all those dates right there. The first one's coming up on January 11th. And then there's a virtual one too. So possibly the only good thing that came out of COVID is a lot of these agencies and, and legislators are doing some more virtual stuff, which gives people an opportunity who possibly couldn't get away from work or drive. Sometimes it's four or five hours, especially if you're down in Florida where the, the state capital is Tallahassee um, and everyone else is on the other end of the state. But, you know, we have been having a lot more of these virtual opportunities to speak. So really you don't have a reason. I mean, you could say that you can't get to one of the three in-person meetings, but then you got a virtual one that you can go to and, and speak your mind there and give them your opposition. So no excuses on this one. Yep. 
Yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I wonder uh, if we'll we'll see as many people showing up. I, I'm really hoping that we do see people uh, coming out for these ones. And then, uh, Jeremy, you've been in contact with like people like Nicotini um, and Josh Ortiz, and they were very involved with this. Um, and yeah. we've been trying to like organize something to get people in the Carolinas a little bit more involved as well, right? Yeah, 100%. So sh- shameless plug, uh, we just launched the uh, Carolina Herpetological Society. That uh, that page is now active and available for people to go check out. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, we, we wanted to be able to get keepers involved in, in every element of keeping reptiles, but that also includes being able to, to have a, a body of keepers in the Carolinas that are aware of, you know, what legislative slash regulatory changes are happening uh in our two states so people can uh can head over there and um and check out what's going on and and how they can be involved uh learn the state laws and uh and what's coming that may potentially change those um so yeah we've got nick battini uh myself and rob josh ortiz and and a few other people involved in that um because it it needs to happen because the the herp societies that exist in the carolinas right now are, are very uh native species based and they don't uh they don't necessarily care for the captive industry so that was the uh the intention of this uh creating this was to give more of a focus to the uh to the captive side of of reptiles so woohoo hey that's not a shameless thing that's awesome that's awesome (laughs) kudos kudos to you guys so we're we're trying (laughs) (laughs) we're trying man yeah Got to make some noise where there's no noise being made, man. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Good to hear it. So, um, so, so obviously, so the Tegu ban is, is uh, definitely the biggest weight uh, in, with what we're seeing in, in North Carolina. But then there's this native species importation stuff. Uh, so can we elaborate a little bit more on that and what, what that changes uh, that might already be in place? Yeah, so the I mean the agent already requires uh, importation permit, which it's important for people to understand what importation means. To a lot of people, think importation is only if something's coming from Europe or China or Japan, you know, being shipped internationally, and that and that's not the case when you're talking about these state laws. When a state talks about an importation permit, that just means importation into the state from anywhere. So that could be South Carolina, Montana, Texas. It could be any other state and there's still a importation requirement. And the agency currently requires that for wild animals and wild birds. And then they're going to add to that uh, native reptiles and amphibians. So for herps that are native to North Carolina, they're going to have this new importation permit requirement for those species. And we don't know exactly (laughs) what they're they're planning to do with that. They're going to make it more accessible for some of the species that are common in trade or what they're going to do. But uh, I mean, the, the issue we see with this is who's going to think that you need a permit to bring an albino corn snake into uh, North Carolina or an albino uh, Eastern uh, king snake or something like that. Um, And the same for pet shops. I mean, pet shops really got to be aware of this because those are, you know, common pet shop species and, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could obviously cause some issues. So again, it's just, we hate to see something like that where even if it's fairly easy for people to do, again, you don't want someone getting in trouble because they didn't know they, they needed something to import a snow corn snake and they just wanted it as a pet. And then they're getting in all this big trouble from the state. So 
we'll have to see exactly where that one goes, but that is, that is part of this new set of rigs. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, if places like uh, Petco and PetSmart have heard about this because, you know, a lot of their common things that they sell are stuff that would be considered, you know, anoles, uh, corn snakes, things like that, even some turtle species. Um, and you know, that, that, impacts our bottom line so i wonder if you worth reaching out to them see if they they know that this is going on yeah they should be aware and i mean those again those stores it's probably not going to be a huge deal for them if they have to comply with this but again they certainly need to be made aware of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, even when we were talking about uh, some of those things for um, for Maine, uh, they, they had representatives there that showed up because it does impact them. Uh, and the places like Maine, they even ban axolotls. Like axolotls are not legal there, which is like, you know, something that's very commonly sold in pet stores. And, you know, once they make a little little changes like this, because I think this one was mostly based on turtles or, for the native one. It had some other stuff on there too, but I, I, when I was looking through it, it looked like it had a lot of turtle species on it. And it'd just be easier for them to add more to it once they make that initial change, you know. Yeah, there is. So in the North Carolina reg, there is some changes to the turtle regulation too, but they already have a fairly extensive turtle regulation. So certainly turtle keepers in North Carolina should be aware of that. So this is really just adding some some of the native species that are already uh, prohibited or have restricted regulation. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There's, there's a lot. There's de definitely definitely a lot going on for North Carolina. Uh, yeah, and, and again, as Jeremy already said, just go to US Arc. We got it broken down. You know, we've got the main five points there, even page numbers on where to look to find this stuff. Because it was, I forget if it was 100 pages, but it was close. I mean, it's dozens of pages, this. So again, it's broken down. It tells you where each section is and which page numbers to go to. So, because there's a lot of other licensing fee changes and stuff like that that are in there. It's not just this, this herb stuff. Um, it's pretty broad regulation change. Uh, affecting hunting and fishing and all that stuff too. But again, we have the page numbers and you can go right to it. See, look at that. Just another wonderful example of Phil spoon feeding you the information you need to know. <laughs> oh man. Um, it's still, it's still a lot. I think that, but yeah, yeah we made it as easy as yeah, possible. No, and I, and I, I think that's, uh, that really is, uh, you know, important for people to know, like you've, you've done there is a lot but you've done so much of the legwork already i mean just marking the pages is massive I, I think the text is like over well over 60 pages and 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 it's like that's a lot to read through so it's wonderful to be like oh hey you only need to look at you know pages 12 through 13 or or you know whatever you don't need to read you know seven chapters of uh regulation jargon that is just going to make you want to go grab a shot of whiskey and and <laughs> reconvene the next day <laughs> hey a, a couple shots may help before you dive into this just don't be sending out emails after a few shots it's okay to read it it's okay to read it a couple shots in but yeah hold off on the email until the next day after some coffee there you go there you go sober up and send the email yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um 
I just want to give a shout out to uh, everybody that's in the chat. Um, we appreciate everybody who's watching. We definitely appreciate it. Please do us a favor and share this video. Uh, we always want to get as much information about what is happening um, uh, out to people. Um, <clears throat> Jen Davis is is uh, in watching, which is which is quite wonderful. She just dropped this uh, dropped this comment. There's another issue that has come about in the last 48 hours. Another county here in North Carolina. Uh, it, it came up as a zoning ordinance. Um, so perhaps I will end up speaking with Jen uh, on my long phone, my long drive later today to get more information about that. Yep. And Jen, um, there's certainly been some people in North Carolina doing work and Jen Davis is probably leading the way on that. So kudos to her. Uh, she was involved with that spitting cobra incident and she already had connections with a lot of the counties and stuff from the work she's been doing for years. So yeah, Jen, Jen Davis is certainly a valuable resource there in North Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Um, so keeping keeping going with what's going on, there's also uh, ESA listing changes happening as well with turtles or, or tortoises. Um, so what's, what's going on with that? Yeah, this is one of those we don't uh, – we, we suspect this is going to get worse way before it ever thinks about getting better. So ESA is going to be a big issue for people who – who don't know that already. We've been talking about it for years now through US ARC, but ESA is a Federal Endangered Species Act. And the one specifically right now, and actually the comment deadline is coming up January 10th. Uh, so we've got the instructions on that, but it's on Egyptian tortoises, which is a species that's super cool. I mean, they stay small, uh, about the size of our American box turtles and just super good species to keep. You know, they're not the big monsters like sulcatas and, uh, they're going to be listed under the Endangered Species Act. And when that happens, it doesn't matter if it's listed as threatened or endangered. It makes it illegal to sell even captive-born animals across state lines. Wow. And the only way it's possible is if you get what's called a captive-bred wildlife permit from FWS. And both the seller and the buyer have to have that permit. And FWS hasn't been issuing those to private parties for years now, going on about six or seven years. So the only people who can even get those cbw permits are aza zoos um we've even had i mean we've had veterinarians deny their cbw permits the last private keeper who was able to get a renewal which he's had a cbw for years he actually had to have uh two members of a state uh legislature uh, a federal <laughs> legislator and he had an attorney fill out the form um and 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 he finally got his renewal but but again, it's oh it's God. crazy, and ninety nine percent of people of private keepers are just denied. Um, so you may have been breeding a species for twenty or thirty years, or working with them, or someone else was breeding them for that long. If they get listed under ESA, then you're no longer allowed to sell those animals across state lines. Yeah, that just happened uh, a couple of years ago, or was it two years ago, with uh, the Pocotheria species, the tarantulas. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, was it five species of Pocotheria, and it's like. It doesn't make any sense because they're saying that it's to help protect these species, but they're saying, okay, you can't transport them across state lines where people, that's how people breed them is they trade offspring <laughs> to make sure they got good bloodlines to make sure that they can keep the populations going in captive settings. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Their arguments are nuts. And you know, the, the biggest argument, kind of the global argument is that us breeding these animals increases the global population. I don't know how you can argue that making more of an endangered species is not conservation. And that's exactly what FWS says when they deny these CBW permits. 
uh, they say that what we do by breeding more of these animals is not conserving the species. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things that makes your head spin. Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah, just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. sense. It doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. You're just shooting yourself in the foot. Like these conservation efforts that already do exist. You're just going to make it that much harder for them to continue. Yep. And, and the reason it's a big deal, I know not a lot of people work with Egyptian tortoises, but we, we never know what species is going to be next. And these species get petitioned by animal rights or what we call enviro groups. You know, the groups that do more fundraising than actual good for any animals. And yep. any, any one of those groups can write a petition for any species. So, I mean, I'm not, I, they, they could write a petition for ball pythons to be listed under mm-hmm. uh, ESA. I mean, they could, they could literally pick any species out. It doesn't have to be a U.S. native species, which which is another issue we have with the Endangered Species Act. Um, but again, we don't know what's going to be next. So this petition was actually sent to FWS way back in 2015, and they're just now getting around to doing something about it. And what they're proposing to do is list them as threatened. And FWS even has the authority. So only for threatened species under ESA, they can still allow us to breed the animals and sell them across state lines freely through something called a 4D rule. Um, so if enough people write in, you know, we got a better chance, obviously, at getting that special 4D rule. Um, but but we don't know that it's going to happen. And then also Egyptian tortoises are really small as well, right? So uh, the the federal ban on Chelonians with turtles under four inches affects them for the majority of their life. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so uh, down to so like <laughs> yeah, who knows just, three or, three or four years before they even get that size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just uh, try to set up. They try to set up as many obstacles as they can uh, to make it so you can't work with these animals. Yep, and and we've been waiting about the same time. I'd have to check if it was fourteen or sixteen. I think it was a year before after all the spider tortoises or proposed to be listed under ESA. And there's another tortoise species that was proposed about the same time that they're waiting on too. So, you know, they're getting around to this stuff about six six years later. Um, And and again, we don't know what's going to come this year. It could be something that you're keeping. So that's why it's important to, you know, comment on the species, even if you're not involved with that species. Yeah, I'm I'm seriously bummed about the tarantula ones because a lot of those tarantulas are tarantulas that I keep. And it's like... Uh, just uh, restricting the flow of the movement of those animals in a captive setting when they haven't been imported for years doesn't do any good for that species in the long term. Yeah, there's there's tons of arguments against it. Uh, We've kind of got them broken down, but yeah, as Rob's saying, it just really does not make sense. It causes a genetic bottleneck um, because you can still trade the species within a state. So if you're breeding Egyptian tortoises in Florida, you can sell those in Florida just fine. So intrastate, but you can't sell them across state lines. So what that creates is all the breeders in Florida can only exchange with each other and buy each other's animals. They can't get something that's not as closely related from the other side of the country because it's illegal to buy that animal and and import it from Washington state or wherever it may be. So yeah, just, just so many issues and as, as we usually say, I mean, ESA just needs to be modernized because, you know, ESA in 1973, obviously over the course of 50 years, a lot of things have changed and people were breeding these animals 50 years ago, like they are now. And 
and ESA just never modernized. So yeah, FW yeah. just needs to do some work on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an overall issue that we've seen with the government too, is that so many things have changed in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but the way that uh, a lot of these regulations are written initially does not account for all the changes that we've made. Uh, it's like in Massachusetts, Massachusetts is one of the few exceptions I can think of where they changed the laws to be better because of the advances that were made when they made uh, green tree pythons and emerald tree boas and chameleons legal. Because for a long, when I was growing up, chameleons and green tree pythons and emerald tree boas were all illegal. Um, and I had to get permits for them, which was a pain in the butt uh, to do. Um, but after eventually going through all the you know, shenanigans and whatnot, they finally made them legal. But it took up until, what, five, six, six years ago, seven years ago, something like that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice that they realize that, that some things could change and, and be okay, whereas uh, some states aren't coming to that conclusion. <clears throat> Florida. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah, it's, it's definitely true. And I, I think on that point, Rob, one of the things that definitely helped with that was uh, the New England Herpetological Society having such a yeah. solid uh, relationship with Mass Fish and Wildlife to, for, you know, to be able to revisit some of those regulations. And I think the, the power, the power of an organization like that, you know, to have that kind of relationship really does go a long way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's definitely a hopeful goal that I have for the for the Carolina Herb Society as well is to be able to get get that kind of relationship happening. So when these things do pop up, it, it doesn't take uh, a whole lot to knock on somebody's door and say, hey, we need to talk about this, you know, because that that would make a world of difference. Being able to sit in the room with somebody that's sponsoring a, a, a regulation change or, or something like that. <clears throat> Yeah, that's awesome. And NEHS, the New England Herb Society, that's even mentioned a lot of times in the alerts that I get. So a lot of times it's just that a, a regulation is renewing or whatever. It's nothing that we have to put out an alert for, but it will mention the list that the New England Herb Society supplied to state agencies uh, to make animals that were legal or not. So yeah, certainly a, a Herb Society, again, as long as you're, you're networking and uh, lobbying and doing all that stuff that, that isn't much fun, unfortunately, but... <laughs> know making those relationships in the state wildlife agencies any group it doesn't matter what you're called can have it can have an effect positive effect like that so again good luck to carolina herb society definitely definitely appreciate that um so what uh you know going into 2022 you know i mean we, we touched on you know the, the beginning of the year right around tax time is when we would usually start to see new proposals start to come through uh have you heard or gotten wind of anything uh, that, that we might be seeing from any particular state or, or federally um, that we might want to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're seeing with the uptick in a lot of places on, on COVID cases. Uh, COVID is obviously still going to be the hot topic. The only thing we see, and it, it happened last year already, well, and the year before, is uh, trying to sneak something in that will affect us that's under the guise of a COVID relief bill or some mm -hmm. type of related bill, like they tried to repeal our federal lawsuit victory and one of the first COVID relief bills that would have made it illegal to ship injurious species across state lines again. Um, so federally certain we may see something like that 
you know, fall under some 600 page <laughs> omnibus bill or something. Uh, but other than that, the, these traveling animal acts are just, that's what's really been hot the last five or six years. The animal rights groups are just pushing those all over the place. And we really got to watch those. Those haven't passed that have affected herb keepers yet, uh, but they keep coming at us. So um, all of them that have included reptiles and amphibians have been stopped. So there are some of those traveling animal act bills that have passed, especially at the city level, at the local levels, but they've really been targeted really at circus species, um, tigers, lions, bears, elephants. There haven't been any that really impacted the educational programs that we do. So as long as we keep fighting those off, um, sooner or later, they'll probably just stop including the reptiles in there because they know it's, it's harder for them to get those passed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. I, I definitely, I'm not shocked to hear that that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that we'll be seeing just because it's, it's already been such a popular, uh, popular thing that's been brought up numerous times over the last few years, especially. Yeah. And especially, uh, go ahead. No, I was go just going to quick, quickly, it's the same group doing it. I mean, the, the federal bill, the federal animal act ban is identical to state bills that came up in Oregon and North Carolina. Uh, well, last year now in 2021, I mean, the, the wording is all identical. So obviously it's the same group who wrote it. So sorry, Rob. Yeah. No, no, it's all good. I was just going to say that like, uh, uh, especially with the popularity of Tiger King and then more of Tiger King coming out. And then I've been hearing rumors that there's a Cobra King in the making that uh, reptile people are talking to the same people who film this stuff to make some sort of reptile hobby one. Um, you know, it, it just does not bode well for, you know, our hobby in general. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to hit, but yeah, there's some type of reptile uh, Tiger King spinoff coming. Um, they were actually filming down at Daytona. So, you know, if if it airs or when, we don't know yet. But yeah, there's there's something in the works. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really important. Um you know, I just w recently went on a social media tangent about, about some of the stuff, but I think it's really important that we realize, like, you know, everything, everything that we do that ends up in the public eye, you know, really does need to be paid attention to, you know, the, the reptile keeping, captive reptile keeping, even though it's more popular than 20, 30 years ago, is still very much taboo uh, to the general public, you know, so if you're a, a social media person, you're posting YouTube content, posting Instagram content, whatever, I think it's important that you're aware that you're representing something that is taboo, you know, to, to the larger population. So anything that we post that could potentially put us in a negative light, really, it doesn't do anything but put us in a more negative, more uh, twisted light because people are like, oh, my God, you keep snakes, you keep lizards. What are you doing, you weirdo? You know, so you mix that with you know erroneous nonsense content and uh and it's not it, it just doesn't work well work out well for us you know and uh to anybody that tries to combat that i, I mean I, I would just say check out some of those virtual meetings and look at what some of the photos are in some of those slides you know there's screenshots from youtube videos there's you know screenshots of, of pictures and stuff and yes. i mean so what yeah. what we post makes a difference it's hard not to. I know, you know, obviously when you get a social media following, yeah, you know, it's, when you sensationalize it, it usually adds to your following. But, you know, J Jeremy just said it. I've been in numerous 
uh, state and local meetings um, where, again, they will show a screenshot of, you know, a popular reptile YouTuber um, and say, this is what these guys do. This is what these guys are all about. And of course, it's going to be some screenshot that makes us look absolutely horrible. Um, and and it's hard to get 100% away from that content. But again, it's it may be working for you, but it can reflect badly on the community. Right. Absolutely. And I'm looking at our timestamp and I need to make sure that I do this. We need to get get I need to get myself into the mindset. We have a wonderful sponsor for the podcast this year. Uh, so we're going to take a quick 90 uh, ish second break for that plug. So hang tight, guys. Black Box Cages, located in Buford, Georgia, is your one stop shop for all of your caging and rack needs. Owners Jen and Clint are at the helm of this fantastic company. With one of the shortest lead times in cage and rack manufacturing, Black Box can satisfy anyone's needs. From baby racks to V70s, arboreal and terrestrial caging to deep-fronted bioactive enclosures. You can find everything you need right here. New enclosure sizes and products are added frequently to their availability, so be sure to check back often. Black Box cages have tons of customizing options for lighting and heating. Along with that, cages and racks can be stacked with metal stacking dowels, and all cage joints are datoed for improved durability and stability. Most cage units are flat-packed, but are pre-assembled prior to shipping to ensure a solid build every time. The Micro, XC18, XT3, BioG, and 3-Stack V70 ship assembled, and all other racks are shipped freight and assembled. The XR16 and XR20 model racks allow keepers to mix and match tubs. Fitting both Vision and Freedom Breeder tubs, you can mix the V15, V18, and V35S tubs, or the FB5, FB8, and FB35CV SC tubs. This kind of flexibility allows keepers to raise their animals from hatchling to juvenile or sub-adult size before needing to upgrade into adult caging. Don't just take our word for it. Go to their website to see countless customer reviews and review videos from keepers all over. To learn more about Black Box Cages, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box Cages, and of course their website, www.blackboxcages.com. Links to their socials and website will be available in the podcast description. Bam! Look at that. Woohoo! Shout out to uh, Black Box Cages for sponsoring the podcast for all of 2022. I'm super excited to be uh, working with them. Absolutely great cages. Um, great people. So thank you. Boom. A sponsor, you're fancy. We're you're fancy. going for <laughs> me and Robert going places. We're, we're trying, man. We're trying. I mean, we did just go to North Carolina, but no. <laughs> True. Oh, man. No, but we're very, definitely very excited about it. Um, okay. So continuing forward, uh, we've got all this stuff already in our midst we have an idea of what we want to uh just be on the lookout for uh so again i will say make sure you're following us arc just go to usarc.org sign up for that newsletter follow them all over social media it's not hard it's, uh, phil is the spoon feeding master of information <laughs> uh, i'm not sure that's a good title there could be worse titles dude there could be worse titles i'm just saying (laughs) 
Um, but but seriously, like all all of that work has has been done for us. So there really is no excuse. You know, it's so accessible for us uh, to be able to get involved. Um, so I, I think it's important to uh, always do this just because there are, for amazing reasons that I will never understand, uh, still things that get brought up to this day. And we usually uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, dispelling U.S. Arc myths. What is going yes. on with U.S. Arc? <laughs> My favorite portion of every show. Wait, I got one. I got one that I forgot about last time. Okay. All right. Tell us. Uh, it, it came across my radar that there was a person saying that he or she just wanted to start a nonprofit group so they could, could pay herself a salary. And, uh, that, that's, that's, that's not how us arc works. So I'm, I'm under no contract. Uh, we have a board of directors. I could be fired at any time. You know, us arc was not some invention that I came up with just to take donations and then pay myself a salary. <laughs> that's, that's not exactly how all this works. So again, if someone comes along who can do this better than me, they can go to the board. Um, you know, I may get a different position with us arc, but this isn't some type of scheme where I just collect donations and, and pay myself a salary. So uh, that, that's, that's wow. one reason form <laughs> uh, oh, of silliness that, that, that came across somewhere, but. Yeah, any, any other ones that you guys have heard, I'll be more than happy to get into it. Because I know there is some misinformation out there. Not all of it's that extreme. Um, but yeah, yeah. If, if you guys got anything, I'll be more than happy to address it. Um, I I think one of the one of the biggest ones uh, that, that pops into my brain is uh, right after the North Carolina alert uh, went out, there was a, a comment on Facebook that said, uh, U.S. ARC will not do anything else to help us. It, they're just going to make this social media post. Uh, so Phil, do you, are you just a keyboard warrior? Do you just make social media posts? Yeah, I, I, I never speak up at, at any of these hearings or do any of that stuff or, or fly places and speak. Uh, but I mean, I mean, to address that a little bit, I mean, even if us arc did do that, even if we did all we could, again, I cannot express how important there's gotta be people in the state or the city, wherever that is, who speak up because, if US ARC is the only organization or person saying anything, I, again, it's it, it's going to pass and just blow through. Um, they, they really got to hear from people within that state, especially when we're dealing with legislative stuff, because, you know, US ARC isn't based in South Carolina or Montana or Texas or wherever that may be. So those legislators don't want to hear from us. I mean, we can educate them on the the facts and the science on whatever's going on. But unless there are people within the state who are speaking up, you know, us arcs voice is probably going to be dismissed. Um, sometimes it only takes a handful of people, but every situation is a little bit different. Obviously the more people speaking up, the better it is. So to take what that person said, um, e even if us arc threw everything we could at it, if no one in the state steps up and all they're doing is complaining about us arc on social media, <laughs> rather than following through with our alert, yeah, they're absolutely right. And whatever it is, is going to pass. So, you know, it's up to the people to do more than, than complain on social media. Yeah. I, I think that's, that is one of the biggest, biggest things that I see is just a lot of social media complaining and then a lack of actual action. And, and I, I don't, I don't know if they, if their image of you is uh, this holier than thou entity that floats in on a cloud and says you shall not pass and then you float back away to wherever you're from <laughs> you know 
but uh but yeah it's a- absolutely like people need to show up people need to speak we, we've talked about this a, a bunch of times and I, i've certainly gone on plenty of uh, rants on my um weekly instagram lives about like getting people to show up you know obviously we want your voices to be heard and you know some sometimes you know sometimes we don't want certain voices to be heard but we need the bodies in the room you know the the numbers also make make an impact um you know especially i mean we talked about was that rhode island rob um yeah yeah where it was just like the number of people in the room was just like who's here for this <laughs> in opposition of everybody raised their hands 20 hands go up yeah yeah you know so so sometimes numbers you know make make a difference too so even if you're not comfortable with public speaking but you know you've got the time you can show up to a meeting you know or or jump on a zoom call you know that extra square means a lot on the on the screen you know that that full chair makes a big difference in the in the hearing room um yeah and you don't want to wait till the hearing i mean a lot of work goes in before that that's why it's important to do the phone calls and emails and you know rob saw it jeremy i can't remember if you were there or not but when that traveling animal act band got stopped in massachusetts you know there were so many people showed up they couldn't fit in the room I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I remember that. Yeah, it was, was like three that. times the amount of people that could fit in that room. Everybody was out in the hallway and we had to file in when it was our turn to speak. And that thing got shot down right there. Um, mm-hmm. but, I mean, there was some work that went into it, too. Even one of the co-sponsors said, I didn't know what I was signing on as a co-sponsor as. And she actually <laughs> pulled her co-sponsorship during that hearing. But again, when you get that many people showing up and, you know, everybody spoke well, um, they weren't up there cussing at the, the legislators and doing doing all this stuff. But you know, that, that definitely has an impact. And something else to think about is US ARC, you know, we're, this would be our best, well, 2021 was our best year fundraising, but usually we're between four and $500,000, which sounds like a lot of money. You know, if someone's making that as a salary, that's a lot of money. But when you're an organization, as an organization. And, and all that money's going, you know, through, you know, we say 50 states, but frankly, it's not 50 states. We don't do work in Hawaii and, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, but, um, you know, it is distributed across, you know, the whole country, that money does not go very far. Uh, you got groups like HSUS who are, you know, pushing $200 million and even they only went a small percentage of the stuff they go into. So just because they propose a bill, I mean, most bills don't pass, but they just keep going at it. They'll bring it back year after year. Um, and that's how they have success. But even when you're a group with $200 million, it doesn't mean you can just swoop in and say, Hey, make this happen. And it happens. So uh, realize that a group with $200 million has problems getting done what they want to get done and compare that to a group with $400,000 and realize, you know, for us to come in and, and be as successful as we have, I mean, it really, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm bragging about us arc, but it really is impressive because us arc is a heck of a lot more than just me. So kudos to everybody who's been involved. Absolutely. And that that brings me to the to the next the next piece is how how in the world is U.S. Arc only raising between four and five hundred thousand dollars? It seems like there's always a fundraiser going on. There's always something. There's always somebody collecting money for U.S. Arc. How is it that they only make X amount of money? And uh, and usually, I mean, my, my response goes to like, well, there's only a couple of expos that raise you know, substantial amounts of money. And then the rest of it is like memberships and donations and everything like that. And you might think a $10,000 fundraiser is, you know, bam, that's a lot of money. And and it's great that it goes right there. But, you know, the reality is that that 10 grand might 
hit the account Monday and be gone Monday night, you know? Um, so Phil, where's all the money go? Yeah. <laughs> and some of those, I mean, you can add up the numbers. Well, we have our 990 IRS tax forms all on our website. So you can go and look at those and see how much money we brought in. But I mean, if you just do some simple math, I mean, really every year we only have about eight or nine big auctions and we'll just say those average $20,000. Um, you know, that's, that's less than $200,000 right there. And then unfortunately, sometimes you got to spend money to make money. So at every one of those auctions, you know, we got to pay for a little bit of catering and the room to have the event and there's expenses that go into all those. So some of that stuff is just, again, it's money. You know, if we didn't pay for the room, we couldn't have the auction. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. You know, and anybody who's ever worked with a hotel on any type of event, I mean, it's just crazy <laughs> the amount of money these places get. And then plus you always pay like a 28% gratuity tax yeah. on, on top of it. So I mean, it's crazy. Obviously, we try and keep it as inexpensive as we can, but all, all that stuff adds up. So just because we have even at NARBC, just because we had a $50,000 auction, again, there's some expenses that go out of that and, and to put those on. And every year, a, a huge chunk comes from ZooMed. ZooMed donates over $100,000 every year. Um, so honestly, since US Arc started, they're, they're like $1.5 million in <laughs> to help wow. US Arc up and going. Um, so, and, and then as far as where the money goes, obviously I'm getting a salary. This is a full-time job. And again, that's all in the nine nineties. Nobody from the board makes any money. Actually two members from the board provide, you know, pushing half of our revenue some years between, uh, ZooMed and Timberline. Um, both those companies donate huge to us arc. And then, yeah, if we get involved in any legal battles, I mean, attorneys are, Today, $400 plus an hour. I mean, it's crazy what attorneys make. I mean, when you're when you're spending money at $400 an hour, it, it goes away awfully quick. I mean, our federal lawsuit, which luckily we had an attorney who did the bulk of the work who was billing at $350 an hour. But yeah, that federal lawsuit, we, we blew past $600,000 without blinking. I mean, I don't know what the final number was, but I mean, it was well over half a million dollars on that federal lawsuit. Um so yeah, it goes away quick. If we get a state lobbyist for a certain issue, that's twenty-five or thirty-five thousand dollars. So I mean, again, the numbers are just big when when you got to pay them out. And then obviously, preferably, we would always like to have at least a quarter million dollars in the bank, so that if we did ever have to move forward with another federal lawsuit, we already have the money there. Mm -hmm. Our first federal lawsuit, honestly, it was we were paying as we went. <laughs> it wasn't there. We made the decision we're going to file this lawsuit and we're going to make it happen. And luckily, the community stepped up and you know supported us monetarily so that we could prevail in that. But yeah, the the money goes away quick. So again, it, it sounds like a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it's really not for an organization working on the scale that we are. Yeah, yeah. I, Sorry, I, probably way too many words there. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, that's that's this. Those are the questions that I've heard people ask you know is where does that money go how can they only be achieving x you know x number of dollars a year you know that they've got to be doing other things you know um and uh yeah it's 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 interesting it is definitely interesting i so i've also heard uh less rumor wise about us arc but just around the topic of us arc like uh ball python people won't get involved because ball pythons are never in danger and you know i mean that's that's not real ball pythons are just as in danger as as, as anything else and uh you know i mean we we need 
we need the bigger ball python breeders who are you know out there buying corvettes and and doing all this other wonderful stuff to uh you know to to step up and and in many cases they do you know uh but uh to to know that people already have this stigma of like certain parts of the industry are are less willing to to be involved because they feel like they're untouchable i i think that's uh not not real <laughs> so i i don't know how this is going to go over one of those times i should probably keep my mouth shut but uh oh uh oh go phil go <laughs> <laughs> but I, i've seen that a lot from i mean let's be honest usually it's it's the big snake guys calling out the ball python guys mm-hmm. and i i can assure any person whether you're a big snake guy or not who has called out the ball python guys that the ball python guys have contributed more money to us arc than mm-hmm. snake guys so uh, now certainly going back to jeremy's point there are a whole i mean there i mean what do we have thousands of of ball python breeders there are certainly plenty who aren't doing much or just really started contributing in the last year or two but yeah overall even with that federal lawsuit uh, the ball python guys were, were stepping up just as big or bigger than the than the big snake guys so to say that is kind of nonsense but again it, it's two ways so one the ones who have supported us always step up big from the ball python world but yes certainly there are others who could be uh doing a little bit more or at least starting to even donate a little so but yeah plenty of ball python guys are huge supporters especially down in texas at the texas narb show in mm-hmm. shows the ball python guys step up at every auction uh, they donate yeah. big they they bid a lot buy a lot of things so so thanks yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think that's it's always interesting watching the fingers get pointed and not allowing that person to reflect on uh their part of the industry <laughs> yeah and one guy i'll i'll mention him just because he always donates honestly sometimes it's four or five thousand dollars worth of ball pythons at an auction but <laughs> bailey and bailey reptiles tim oh yeah I actually yeah. felt bad so back when us arc when I became president, we used to try and send out after each auction who donated. Mm-hmm. And somehow Bailey and Bailey got left off like two or three of those in a row. And he's like, man, I donated $4,000 worth of ball pythons and you don't even put my name in the newsletter. And every time I'd oh, apologize, and be like, man, I'm sorry. And he kept donating and he gave me a hard time about it. And honestly, if I was him, I might've just said, man, I'm not donating to us arc anymore, but he's <laughs> still a huge supporter and kept on going. And yeah, he let me hear about it, but we deserved it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Damn. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's if there's one more one more uh, notable one that that kind of pops into my mind. Um, oh well, I mean, I guess there's there's certainly the the one. Uh, everything's just going to get banned, so we might as well just. You know, it's just going to happen. So we might as well just, you know, get used to it. They're never going to stop coming for us. So we just need to whatever. I, I had a conversation with a, an old school reptile keeper who lives actually out by your side of the state, Rob. And uh, that was very much his standpoint. He's like, I've been fighting for, you know, 20 years or, or whatever. And, you know, I'm just I'm tired. It always seems like we're losing and. And uh, my my conversation with that person was literally like, hey, man, you still keep snakes, right? That means you still enjoy what you're doing. So all this time you just wasted sending me, you know, 30 messages about how old you are. Uh, You could have sent out a few emails or made a few phone calls, and that would have been a lot better, uh, a a much better use of your time. So uh, 
Phil, why why is nothing? Why are we just rolling over and taking this? What's what's I mean, the deal? There's <laughs> one thing that's silly about that. Again, so I mean, U.S. Arc doesn't win 100 percent of the time, and I don't know what the percentage is, but in every effort that we've gotten into, I, I mean, it's it's 90 to 95 percent of the stuff we either stop or uh, get the regulation changed or something. I mean, it's it's a very small percentage of of times that we have actually lost. So when people say say that, I mean, if you want to dwell on the losses, that's fine. But overall, it's just, it's a heck of a lot closer to a hundred than it even is to 60 or 70%. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's somebody who's just frustrated. I, I I don't know. That's getting outside the reptile world. That's someone who's upset with his own <laughs> life and isn't happy with where his life went and has other issues going on. Um, it, it's nothing to do with us arc or reptiles. That's just, you know, what, what he or she chooses to vent and, and say that, he or she is miserable because he was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that stuff happens. And obviously if you are someone who was actually affected, uh, negatively affected at a time when us arc didn't win, I mean, I understand you being upset with us arc. Um, but, but again, I mean, what, what did that person do? Um, did you try and rally the troops? Did you try and get people involved? Did you yourself just take five or 10 minutes to, to call and send an email I mean, at minimum, that should be what what you're doing. So, and you know, you see that too. A lot of people are complaining and do absolutely nothing but complain on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so much easier to just do that than, than you know, <laughs> copy and paste an email. It's it's so much easier to write a, a long social media paragraph that five people will bother reading. You know, rather than clicking copy paste, <laughs> not spending two or three hours complaining when you could have done something productive to help the fight in that two or three hours. I mean, it's anyway. It is that's just how some people are. <laughs> some people are wired. Yeah. And, oh, and, and once it's it's kind of U.S. arc related. I always hate people to talk about how bad the reptile industry is and and how there's all this negative stuff with the reptile industry. I I really don't like to hear that because. You know, that's not the reptile industry. It's just people as a whole. You're always going to get people who are complaining. And it doesn't matter if you're into, you know, radio controlled cars or drones or playing magic card game. It doesn't matter what you're in. There's always going to be some people who you don't like <laughs> and or who are bad for the community. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I just really never like hearing people just rip on the reptile community, specifically thinking that outside the reptile world, everything is, you know, rainbow, rainbow farting unicorns. Um, <laughs> that's just that's not the case yeah yep. absolutely. so phil i wanted to ask if there's any like um i know that we already touched on the north carolina has got meetings coming up uh, are there any imminent things that people should know as we're wrapping things up just uh most important things that people should be looking at right now uh probably that traveling the federal traveling ban um people in north carolina should be aware of the stuff that's going on in north carolina in the upcoming week um anything else uh, no, I mean, since Jeremy brought it up, honestly, anybody in North and South Carolina should certainly look at the the new Carolina Herb Society because, you know, like Jeremy said, any state just building some type of society like that is going to help so much going down the line. It may take a year or two or three, you know, to kind of get organized, but, you know, feel free to go out and kind of start a group like that because what, you know, a group like that is going to be able to do is they can give easy access to state regulations, you know, to, to members um, they'll develop uh, relationships with people in the state wildlife agency. I mean, sometimes, and I know we've talked about this before, people ask if they should have a state U.S. art group. And I always say no, 
Um, most states honestly should not have any type of ARC organization. It's a whole lot better to start a Herp Society or similar group um, and just have, you know, an organized group of people in case something does happen. Um, but it, it shouldn't be based around some type of, of lobbying organization. It should be something where you can go out and community. enjoy some of the time and, and build a community. Yeah. Yeah. Community is so important when it comes to, to reptiles. And um, I was just thinking, Jeremy, I got to talk to you about this, but uh, doing some group field herping trips because some of the spots that I've been going to recently, they're not even like private areas. It's all public trails that I've been to recently. Uh, but I found lots of really cool stuff. So and I'm more than happy to like bring people out there with me and, and, you know, share, share a little bit of that experience. And, you know, I've only been down here for a month, but I'm sure that uh, if we get together with a few more people, we can, you know, figure out some stuff to do trips and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, get people off their asses and stop staring at their phones and go out and do stuff (laughs) for real. Less social media complaining and more filled herping. Yeah, I'm about it. That needs to be on a bumper sticker. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so there's there's a question in the chat I just want to bring up, but I know we're we're wrapping things up, but I think this is a a valid question. Um and this this coming from uh Dan Dan Lawyer. Should Texas keepers make an effort to propose laws before they are made? So I guess in, in states that that don't really have any regulations, is it is it worth them being proactive in some sort of way? Uh, before they get sideswiped. Yeah, there's pros and cons to being proactive. Um, I mean, being proactive can bring up a conversation that you don't want to have brought up. And it's also going to bring the other side of the table. So while it can make sense, so again, again, it's, it's, it's pretty long winded to get into all this. I'll try and be brief, but being proactive isn't always good. And I would say a state like Texas is maybe one of those states because Texas is not an over-regulatory type of state. You know, it's the the true last land of the free and home of the brave (laughs) kind of place, (laughs) Uh, whereas certain other parts of the country aren't that way. So there are certainly other states where maybe you want to look at something like that. But I mean, Texas already has a a large snake and venomous regulation, um, a permit that you have to have. Um, So depending on what this person is thinking about specifically on being proactive on, because uh, they may, he or she may be talking about some field herping uh, change and not necessarily keeping uh, reptiles change. So mm. it's it, again, it's too too much to to get into. So yeah, the short story is proactive can be good, but you really still got to be organized to be proactive because animal rights groups are going to come to it, and to even get a bill uh, sponsored and introduced i mean it's tough work i mean you got to have some type of political connections Uh, the legislator has to see what the public interest is in doing that bill so it it takes a lot of work to be proactive um but yeah depending on the situation it would be good for some states or even cities to to look at that kind of stuff yeah and you got to think about what the public interest is what does the public know about reptiles yeah Yeah. i saw the movie anaconda once and then that's that's a wrap (laughs) yeah is between that and any good snake is a dead snake. If that's the yeah. if that's the Texas. general viewpoint of Texas. yeah, if that's the viewpoint yeah. of, of the people around you, maybe hold off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get plenty of that in Texas too, and, and that's every oh, state. Man. I mean, I live in Indiana and every snake in the water is a cotton mouth and <laughs> obviously that's <laughs> that's not the case. But yeah. that that's almost yeah. every state. Every every state has that where the Nerodia are always a, a cotton mouth 
every Nerodian yeah. in the cottonmouth. <laughs> I have not even seen any cottonmouth since I've been down here. It's kind of sad. <laughs> it's okay. We'll fix that this year. <laughs> oh, trust me. As soon as it's a viability, it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we have dev- we've gone past our time, but as always, Phil, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Um, yeah, we definitely appreciate you taking the time. I know your schedule is pretty pretty crazy. Um, so, of course, again, I've already said it, but make sure you're following USARC. Just go to usarc.org. Um, go right to that homepage. Sign up for that newsletter. Get all the information. I've been using the hashtag in the know. We want keepers to be in the know about what is going on, so feel free to use that hashtag. Um, and, of course, check out USARC on Facebook, uh, United States Association of Reptile Keepers, and uh, on Instagram uh, at USARC underscore official. I usually post all the tags uh, on all my social media. Um, bam. Yeah. Heck yeah. That is that. So Phil, thank you again. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll stay, we'll stay in touch of course. And, uh, and I, I, I'll bug you in a few months about getting you back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks fellas. Thank you, man. Take care. Take care.